1: everybody, and welcome to today's WCN-TV. This is Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Uh, First of all, um, I know we've been discussing today's topic for about three years now, and I know it may be growing tiresome for those who believe they've heard it all before. But, you know, I'm talking about the... Billions of people around the world have taken believing the governments of the world have had their best interests in mind. Others took the shots because it was mandated by their jobs. Uh, take the jab or lose your job, basically. Young children have now been injected, and these things are now becoming recommended by doctors for even newborn babies. In some places, the jabs are mandatory for kids to attend school. And still others took them just because they were retired and they wanted to travel. Whatever the reason, I think it's safe to say that these jabs were basically forced upon the entire population of planet Earth. If they were so great and wonderful, they wouldn't have had to be made mandatory. People would naturally flock to get them because they didn't want to get sick, but that wasn't the case. Governments around the world, under the direction of the CDC, the WHO, and the World Economic Forum, just to name a few, forced these things into a lot of people. But we now know, and the CDC has even admitted, that there's more danger from the jabs than there ever was from COVID. Still, they continue to push the narrative and urge people to get their boosters, even though we now understand they're deadly. When these things first came out, countless doctors, scientists, and researchers warned of the dangers of the COVID stab. They accurately predicted that we'd be seeing massive deaths, and they were right. But they were all censored, canceled, and labeled conspiracy theorists, and their studies were labeled disinformation. So billions have now been injected. And as I also stated over a year ago, we're now seeing massive numbers of deaths. People of all ages are dying suddenly and mysteriously after getting these shots. And as I said many times, COVID was made for the jabs as a pretense to inject as many people with these things as possible. They were never meant to cure or even mitigate any type of illness. On the contrary, they were made to depopulate the planet. And we're seeing that now, just as I and so many others have said was going to happen. Life insurance companies are reporting record numbers of excess deaths over the past year. People in the prime of life and health are simply dying suddenly. It seems there was and is a conspiracy, but it's no longer a theory. The truth is plain for anyone with eyes to see. Well, today on the program, we have two special guests, and uh, they're going to discuss all this from some very unique uh, viewpoints. John O'Looney is a funeral director in England. He operates Milton Keynes Family Funeral Services, just a short distance from London. He'll be sharing what he's found during the pandemic of 2020 and what he's seen since the jabs were rolled out and mandated around the world. Also with us today, again, is Mark Sutherland joining us from the UK as well. Mark was with us last week here on the show, but I invited him to be on again today and he accepted. So we'll be able to get a unique perspective from Europe regarding all these things on today's WCN TV. But before we bring our guests on, I'd like to introduce today's topic by showing you a couple of video clips that I think you'll find very compelling. Let's watch the first one. Uh, this is from World Alternative Media. And we'll just watch the first three minutes. And then I've got one more for you before we get into things. You can let it roll, John.
2: World Alternative Media here, and they're calling it a vaccine holocaust. And that is exactly what it is. As we see massive numbers of people dying across the board from this death shot, this absolute poisonous eugenics operation that has been waged among upon humanity worldwide for now a year and a half specifically and of course has led to also insane forms of tyranny including technocracy, vaccine passes, etc. All coercing people into getting these things while killing millions of people. This out of natural needs it says vaccine holocaust, hundreds of thousands are fully of fully vaccinated people are dying weekly, official government report indicates and of course we are we shouldn't be surprised by this of course the numbers have been incredibly covered up but it's all seemingly coming out even the cdc has recently said that uh you're more likely to get sick and or die if you have this jab. But nonetheless, we've been trying to warn people for a very long time. And, you know, I find most of the people who say they were jabbed didn't do so because they really wanted to be jabbed. They just felt like they had to or else they would miss out on everyday things in life. But of course, that is where they tested our principles and those of us that didn't go and kill ourselves with these things and bring premorbidities to the front. Um, we are feeling great. <laughs> we are happy about it. And um we're saddened to see so many people we know Getting sick and or dying. So we're going to get into this recent government report, um, by the way. I mean, this is pretty big and we're seeing a lot of reports like this. And of course, we've seen a 163% increase in debt year over year, according to Lincoln National, one of the top insurance companies in the world uh, for life insurance. And uh, that is a significant number because a once in 2000 year apocalyptic catastrophe is about a 10% increase in death. So 163 is insane. And of course, uh, we heard 80% increase in death year over year, according to one America insurance company last year before it really picked up. We now know that um, uh, rapper Coolio died suddenly last night and of course he and his wife were against the vaccines but it turned out that he got three shots and got his last one just 3 weeks before he dropped dead so again we are just continually continuously seeing what we all expected to happen so we are going to get into this article this report and a few other reports And more today. But before we do, I urge people to go and check out LearnTheRisk.org. They have been doing amazing work exposing vaccines for many years, long before the COVID jab. Of course, we interviewed Tina Marie on our channel a while back ago. I think we did a video called uh, All Vaccines Are Bad. And I urge people to check it out. But nonetheless, check out LearnTheRisk.org. I'm not paid by them. I just support what they're doing. They are one of the only ones out there that isn't completely co-opted by a bunch of, you know, psychological uh operation agents. So I urge you guys to find those facts and hand them out to your family as well as buy some merchandise for them. Anyway, um, I urge people to also
1: Okay, we can we can stop there. Um, uh, Jonathan, our producer, if you would uh put the link to that in the show notes. Um it's a half hour video. Um I'd recommend you check it out. Also the article he's referring to is from naturalnews.com and uh, I also read that article. It's it's uh, worth your time. So um, before we move on, I want to show you one more thing, and this is spooky. Um, this is a, a video from Infowars. I think you'll see that there's even more to all this than we actually realize. Uh, these shots are deadly, but check this out and consider if we're not actually dealing, uh, if we're not actually in the midst of a spiritual battle as well as a physical one with these shots. Take a look at this. This is really strange.
2: All I have is the uh, front page here. Is there...
1: Okay, uh, go up and click on the uh, video there. Oh, no, you don't have the video.
0: Yes, sir. Let
3: me see. Rob, is this video referring to people looking behind them and some very strange things? Yes, that's what I want. Because that's Greg Reese's video, isn't it, from InfoWars? Yep, yep, it is. If that helps. There it is. Click Click that little arrow there and maybe we can watch it. Thanks, Jonathan.
4: After Europe approved the COVID vaccine for kids, excessive deaths among children increased by 755%. Recent studies now prove that the COVID vaccines are being transmitted to children through the vaccinated mother's breast milk. A recent Harvard study shows that the COVID vaccines are far more dangerous than COVID-19 itself. And the CDC has quietly acknowledged all this. All of these facts were once explicitly labeled false by the mainstream narrative. The awakening masses are now aware that these experimental vaccines are deadly and that we are all being lied to, but we still don't know what these mysterious poisons are doing to our bodies. Macroscopic research has shown us that some of these vaccines contain graphene oxide and what appears to be self-assembling nanotech. Morticians have found massive inorganic so-called clots growing inside the vascular systems of the deceased vaccinated. And the FDA has been using transhumanist slogans to push the latest COVID booster shots. So it isn't surprising that people are now questioning the vaccine when it comes to a strange new phenomenon being captured by security cameras from around the world. Several videos show people suffering from the same strange attack. First, they act as if they see something over their shoulder, compelling them to turn their head. As the head turns, the body follows, an arm lifts as if to point at what they are seeing. Their body then spirals into collapse and begins to spasm. turning their head to see something and then spinning into collapse
2: just a quick question sir do you want to pause it at the uh, train scene skip ahead
1: Just let it go.
4: Okay. These videos do not appear to be a hoax. And if they are not a hoax, then what is this? It has people speculating about 5G. And has others thinking about CERN. Whatever it is that is going on, we are still injecting this deadly poison into the young bodies of our innocent children. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese.
3: Okay.
1: You can, you can cut it, John. There you go. What is that, folks? What is that? So anyway, John and Mark, thank you for staying up late with us. I know it's, it's uh, past your bedtime where you guys are, <laughs> um, but I appreciate you staying up. Um, welcome to the program. I'm eager to get into our discussion, and I'm sure you are as well. So, John, uh, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and what it is you do as a funeral director.
5: Uh, so first of all, hi Rob. Um, thank you for having me on the show. My name is John. Uh, I'm a funeral director based in Milton Keynes in the UK, and I run Milton Keynes Family Funeral Services. I've been a funeral director for around 15 years now. Nearly 10 years of that was spent working for the Cooperative Funeral Care, who is one of the major funeral providers in the UK. Um, I the first five years was really good. The second five years not so good because the bank collapsed and they bought the money men in. So I left and I sat up on my own five years ago and I've been a funeral director ever since, you know, running my own funeral home.
1: And Mark, uh, maybe you could give the folks a short introduction on on your career.
3: Um, I have the privilege to uh, broadcast on your side of the pond. I work in TV and film. Um, I've made a a number of uh, short films that, the won awards on both sides of the pond and uh, my film between lambs and lions was made to try and wake up uh, america to the 2016 election the last short film i made was uh, produced was a short film as a warning about communism um can i just say john o'looney it's an absolute privilege to be on this show with you we have a few mutual contacts friends one is kate shamanari and the other, the other is Peter McElvainer. I think you've been on his show, which is Hearts of Oaks. First of all, I would like to public publicly say, on my on my own behalf and and other people in this country, that we are extremely grateful for all that you have done, are doing. We're also very very grateful that you are safely out of hospital, and all of that. And uh, thank God for your deliverance there. And would I would love to. There are a number of things i want to talk about but i just i just want to say that john and thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart because i see you i know you are extremely humble and very unassuming but we see you as an extremely brave man and very grateful for for the fact that you have spoken out in the way that you have thank you
5: thank you very much um i'll be honest it, it's um solely because i care very much about other people probably mm. more so than myself um If I cared more about me, I wouldn't have never said a word. I'd just take the money, you know. So thank you for the kind words. I can assure you there's nothing special about me. I just care very much about other people.
1: Well said, John. Well said. Um, Just so people are clear, you're not denying that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is real, are you? Um,
5: There's definitely something that um, people are being taken ill with. But I suspect that the majority of of the damage is being done by the cure and also by the clinical decisions being made um, when people fall, fall ill and and I can go into that in a bit more detail about my own experience um, within the hospital system i've had a unique perspective um so so um you know, when you're ready, I can cover my hospital stay and kind of explain to people yeah, what... Yeah, why it, don't
1: you why don't you tell us about that? Uh, because okay. you, were, you were in the hospital. And, <clears throat> yeah, uh, definitely.
5: Yeah, definitely it was uh, very blood. unwell. Yeah. No, so um, I'd uh, been dressing, washing and dressing people um, labelled with COVID for around two years. I've never worn a mask. Um, I've never um, been given any any of these jabs. I refuse to take them because I, I see who exactly who was dying on the coalface, you know? So um, I've been reached out to by a number of people uh, more than I ever thought I would speak to. I've kept the company of people who, um, you know, very eminent people, um, very distinguished people, people I never thought I would ever be interested in speaking to me. Um, in November of 2021, I spoke to, I had a guy call me who told me he was, um, British intelligence now I take these kind of things with a pinch of salt you know but I'd listened to him and he was talking to me for I don't know about 20 minutes and I listened to what he said and what he said was very compelling so one of the things that he said um was that I was a person of interested a person of interest and I would be targeted as such now I I kind of listened but did listen I've been very open about who I am and where I am, and the idea of that is to verify who I am you know i it's no good me saying that I've seen these terrible things as an undertaker if I'm then not going to reveal who I am you know there's no benefit to to humanity if I don't identify myself and could be verified for to, to for the authenticity of who i am and what i'm saying so anyway lo and behold i fell ill about three or four weeks later uh, and i'd hasten to add this guy didn't say he was a secret agent he was actually in, in comms in communications and he'd, he he passes information is what he does so he'd heard me mention and seen me mentioned in communiques um, and lo and behold i did fall ill so i was i felt um as though i'd either been burnt or poisoned is the way I would describe it. Um, I was short of breath. Um, So I went to hospital. I was seen by the triage staff in the hospital. Well, it was very interesting, actually, because the ambulance arrived. There were three members of staff on there. Um, Two of them were great big guys that were obviously, you know, there to lift people. And one of them was a quite sadistic um, little lady who was um, the paramedic. She began immediately berating me um, the moment she arrived, um, telling me how selfish. So she'd obviously checked my vaccine status and began berating me, saying how selfish I was, and uh, and um, it's people like me keeping and attacking me. And and bear in mind, this is I'm a patient and and I'm struggling to breathe, and she's berating me. You know, <laughs> hardly mm-hmm. really. Clinical behaviour. Um, I managed to tell her, you know, I'm a funeral director. I know exactly who's dying, and I know who you, who it is you're picking up, who's presenting. And she went and silenced. So they conveyed me to hospital. Um, on the way there in the ambulance, they were trying to coerce me. She was trying to coerce me into agreeing to be ventilated. When I got to the hospital, and I kind of said to her, "Listen, I don't need ventilation. I was on oxygen. I felt fine on oxygen. There was no need for me to be ventilated." So. I went into triage at the hospital, and I was the only one in there, despite, despite the fact that the mainstream media reporting they're overrun, I was the only one in triage, there was no one else in there, you know, so I was seen straight away, the nurse that was in triage was lovely, bless her, she gave me three lateral flow tests, and all of them were negative, and she actually said to me, you haven't got COVID. Now, these are the same tests that they're putting people on palliative care on the basis of and locking them inside rooms, starving them to death. So I was then um, nonetheless, they admitted me because obviously I was short of breath um, and I was placed on a covid ward. Now, this was early hours of the morning in um, towards the end of December um uh, I, the following morning, I had um, a consultant sit on the bed in the ward. and It was ward 22, room one. There were four beds in there. Three of them were occupied. I was on one side, two guys opposite, two COVID patients. So the, the consultant sat on the bed and he led with the line, I'm here to save you life from, from COVID. So I kind of said, okay. I said, you have looked at my notes? And he said, yes. And I said, you are aware then I've tested negatively for COVID. You know, I kind of question why, you know, what's the need for me to be on a COVID ward if I'm not suffering from COVID? And I'd hasten to remind you, I felt like I'd been burnt or or poisoned um, is the way I would describe it. As an ex-smoker and a bit asthmatic, I am very aware of what a chest infection feels like. You know, I've had many over the years. It didn't feel anything like that at all. I felt like I'd been burnt. Uh, or, or, and, and this
1: was three weeks after you were visited by British intelligence.
5: N- yeah, no, they called me. So the guy called me he, okay. on the phone, yeah, withheld a number, and I, I chatted to him. So um, he sat on the bed, this consultant, the following morning. He said, we're here to save your life. Um, he had a girl with him who didn't say anything. So I said, oh, how are you going to do that? He said, we want to start you on remdesivir. So mm-hmm. I kind of well, <laughs> said to him, um, yeah you know, if you can explain to me the clinical benefits of of Remdesivir to me as a respiratory patient who's tested negative three times with the test that you're condemning people to death with, I said, and also explain to me, you know, what are the side effects to me as a respiratory patient of taking Remdesivir? I said, let's have a look. And and thankfully I took um, uh, a phone in uh, and I Googled and lo and behold, side effects of Remdesivir. Difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, kidney function, liver function. You know, I kind of said to him, can you explain to me how that's going to help me? And he didn't argue with me. He didn't. He just got up and he walked off muttering that he was doing as he was told to do. That was the last time that I saw that consultant. So Mm. about three hours later, I had a girl sit on the end of the bed, um, a skinny blonde girl, I would estimate around 35 years old. She said to me i'm here to save your life the exact same line almost like it was from a handbook so i kind of said okay i said how are you going to do we're going to save you from this covid i said to again you know have you even looked at my notes i've had three um, lateral flow tests these are the tests that you're you're condemning people to palliative care and death on all of them were negative. My wife was tested three times at home by her sister, as a teaching assistant, and has access to tests. She came over because my wife was a little bit unwell, but not anywhere near as bad as me. And she tested negatively three times. So we had six tests between us; all were negative. Um, so she then went to say, "Well, oh, well, we want to be safe," you know. I kind of said, "Okay." I said, "Well, how are you proposing that then?" She said, "Well, we want to give you two drugs. One of them is called Toxilizumab." And the other one is called baricitinib. Now, one of them, I believe, is a, a chemotherapy. The other one is used to treat chronic um, arthritis. Um, so I kind of said, OK, I said, well, give me the spelling. And I said, let's have a look at the fi- the side effects and see what the clinical benefit would be to me. You know, why you tell me how they're going to benefit me. And she couldn't. The whole conversation, she looked at the floor or the ceiling and not once in 10 minutes did she make eye contact. She was terribly terribly nervous and anxious and oozed guilt you know so I kind of said to her, okay let's so baricitinib and uh side effects of baricitinib I'd urge your viewers to Google that difficulty breathing difficulty swallowing tightness of chest um the list goes on you know everything that's gonna exacerbate um a, 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 a respiratory condition so then i looked at barocitinib as well as toxilazuma, difficulty breathing difficulty swallowing um, blood pressure kidney function liver function now i know when, as a funeral director when i take these people in that have been treated with remdesivir they're full of fluid they're literally oozing fluid to the point where if i transfer them from a tray um uh, from a stretcher over to a tray you have to hold their forearm you leave an imprint in them where their kidneys have died um, and their body can't process fluid. So they fill up with water and they effectively drown. That's what happens with people that are given remdesivir. So here it became very apparent to me, you know, when I challenged her and I said, well, how, how is that going to benefit me? Oh, and she asked me to sign a waiver as well. So in order to be given these life-saving medicines, I would have to sign a waiver, you know? So she tried to coerce me and frighten me into signing a waiver. And I kind of said, well, I'd rather die. No, um, I'm not having them. And I said, unless you can explain to me what the clinical benefit is to me and how difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, tightness of chest and wheeziness is going to help me and be beneficial as a respiratory patient. She couldn't. She got up and she sculpted away like a rat. She oozed guilt, you know. So it became very apparent to me then that what they wanted was the dominant well-known anti-vaxxer from COVID. That's what they wanted. Um, I knew that I had to get out there and otherwise they would have killed me. So I've got a, an extensive network of many, many doctors who are, are totally awake and they know what's going on. I made contact with a couple of them and a guy called Mark Sexton. One of them agreed to travel with him to the hospital to advocate for me medically. And then I had a three-hour battle to discharge myself. They called security on me and threatened to arrest me. Yeah, it was insane. And I kind of said, so what basis are you doing that on then? Oh, well, um, you're, you're a health risk. I said, listen, I said, this is a hospital ward. This isn't a prison wing. You can't do that. And I'll be honest, whatever they nailed me with, and they nailed me with something, I know they did, um, it wasn't a good enough dose because if they'd have managed to put me out, they would have finished me off. Um, mm-hmm. but they did. I had a little bit too much about me still, you know, and mm-hmm. I was too assertive and a bit too strong and um, managed to get out with the help of uh, mark sexton and a gp who i won't name because they'll just persecute him so moving forward i've been in a unique position of firsthand first hand the utter lie of 2020 um it was there was no increase in death rate at all except for a brief period in, in january march and april where they i suspect they euthanized a lot of people in care homes with Medazolam under the orders of, of Matt Hancock, um, despite that the numbers were still lower, especially in cremations, which form the bulk of the funerals that we do in the UK. Most of the funerals are cremation. Um, the numbers weren't there. Uh, the only time we saw any pandemic death rate was the moment needles went in arms when the cure was being delivered, and that was in January twenty twenty one. So, uh, you know, I've been in the unique position to see it from the coal face. Um, putting youngsters in coffins, and also as a patient, suffering coercion, um, intimidation, uh, and uh, attempts on my life.
1: Well, it sounds very much like what it, uh, what happens in our American hospitals. Yes, exactly.
5: Um, I, I was a bit too strong. I know the next time I go into a hospital, if they target me again, I won't come out. They'll kill me. I've no. got no doubt of that. Um, but I want my life to be of purpose where someone else... Could benefit and then i'd feel that i'd i will meet my maker with a clear conscience i'm mm. not going to be complicit in, in, in murder and genocide and, and poisoning of children um no yeah.
3: john uh john mentioned the name matt hancock just to clarify matt hancock then was the health minister in charge of the national in charge of the national health service um and like many were just convinced totally knew exactly what was going on john this The kind of thing that happened to you reminds me of uh, something that happened to a lady in America that is uh, known to us as a commentator. who I won't name, but it seems like an and like a sort of energy weapon as well that happened in that. There is a there is a there is a correlation. Um, Yeah,
5: I've got no doubt in my mind. These people are cowards. That's the way they do things covertly. Now, they are gutless. They're gutless Mm -hmm. people. They won't face me like men. Mm. you know face me like a man and give me a chance and you'll get a fight um they won't they'll do it remotely or they'll do it um with poison on the door handle or they're cowards they're gutless cowards mm. but it's too late because i've done what i wanted to do and mm. I, I, hopefully i've saved many lives mm.
3: in the article hands for health which Mike might gives that introduction from and it goes through the story of what happened when you were in hospital what yeah. also fascinated me and you and it mentions this where 80,000 um, NHS staff were going to be potentially sacked because yeah. they weren't going to take the vaccine.
5: Well, I, I hear different numbers. I hear 130,000 and 80,000, but mm. clearly it's a significant amount. Mm. Um, these are people who would rather lose their careers. These are people most at risk on the front line of this deadly pandemic mm. who would rather lose their careers than take the protection. What do you think they're seeing that's making them form this decision? I can tell you because I've spoken to many of them. They see these jab recipients dying shortly after being jabbed, and they're all saying the same thing as they die. What's happening to me? I was okay until I was jabbed. Mm. I've spoken to them, I've done funeral arrangements for them. Uh, you know, I uh, so only last week, um, I took a call from a lady who um, lost her husband. Uh, they were they had the fourth booster nine weeks ago. He died from very aggressive sudden liver cancer. She's sitting there doing the arrangement on hanging onto an oxygen bottle. Both of them were in perfect health when they went and got these. So um, I know that I, I've put more kids under 40 in coffins in the last 18 months um, than I've seen in the previous 10 years. I, I, in fact, I've just been um, sitting talking to um, uh, Benton Faithful and uh, Richard Hirschman about that. They're both within the industry, both very uh, experienced funeral directors and are both openly talking about it now and spreading the word. And I hope that we can turn this around and and save humanity because they are targeting, it's a spiritual war. It's exactly what you said. I'd mm. love to know the exact truth, but I can tell you it definitely, definitely is a cult. Mm. Mm.
1: So, John, um uh, We've all seen the images of, of the blood clots that people are yeah. getting, but these are not normal blood clots, are they?
5: No. So these are uh, uh, now there's a little uh, very interesting. So if I cast my mind back about 18 months, so I've got a full time BIE registered embalmer. He's a great guy, a really good embalmer. And he was complaining to me that he was struggling to embalm some people um, that we had in our care. Um, so we kind of looked at it a little bit more, and we thought perhaps the pump might want servicing the pump has a built in pressure gauge on it that is registering the right pressure um so we suspected that there might be an issue with with clotting we'd heard rumors of clotting um we'd also seen um Richard Hirschman talk in detail about what he'd seen as a a, um, a trade embalmer. Now, a trade embalmer, I employ my own embalmer. He works for me full time. Richard is a guy that goes, he's self-employed. and He goes from home to home. He does a lot of embalmings He's a really good guy, very experienced. And he described in great detail the clots that he was pulling out of people. Now, I kind of suspected that's what that was. Now, my job as a funeral director is not to do postmortems. We can't, do them you know but the way it works there are two different types of embalming so one of them would be um uh, uh someone that had had a post-mortem where they died suddenly the other one would be what we call in the trade here a straight case where they haven't had an, an embalming and i'll tell you the difference between the two to give your viewers a better understanding so usually with an embalming with a straight case someone that's an expected death and hasn't has a postmortem, we would make an incision just below the collar line Um, Into the carotid artery, we would cut the artery half the way through. The pump nozzle that pumps formaldehyde around the body using the arterial system goes into the artery and the top is tied off. We then pump formaldehyde, it goes around the body. It's pink in color, so as it goes to the extremities, you can see the color come back into people who are clearly pale because they've lost their circulation, haven't died. Now, we then, when, when you see that someone is pink all the way through, you then take the nozzle out and reverse it so that it does the top of the head. And, you know, that that's the embalming process. Now, with um, a post-mortem case, you you have to clearly, when someone goes for a post-mortem, they cut them down the abdomen, take the sternum out, take all of the organs out, um, inspect them, take blocks, slides, toxicology. Then the organs are put back into a plastic bag The plastic bag is placed into the empty cavity and it's sewn up. Now, clearly, when that process happens, the post-mortem process, that circulatory system that we use to embalm has been decimated because all of these arteries and veins have been cut to remove the organs. So as a funeral director, if I'm asked to embalm a a post-mortem case, I would cut the stitching, open the cavity, take the bag out of giblets, for want of a better word. And I would manually target the severed arteries and veins in the body with the embalming pump, that nozzle, to pump formaldehyde around those severed arteries. And you have to go from artery to artery. Some of it is spilled in the process, and it's generally a bit more messy because the circulatory system has been compromised significantly. Now, when we, uh, what we were waiting for was the planets to align. Let me explain. I was waiting for a young man or a woman Uh, to pass away prematurely and to have been given a post-mortem and then for the family to ask me to embalm that person so that I could open them up and have a look at these arteries to see if what I suspected in this person was there and when we opened this guy up and gone to put the nozzle down all of his arteries are full of this white rubbery stuff and I'm not talking a little bit to give you an idea, this is a 30 year old guy, no comorbidities. Um, in really good nick, you know, he was 30 years old, he's in his prime, you know, we were all 30 once, weren't we? So, you know what that means. Um, his arteries were some of them were blocked like 85 percent. The aorta, in particular, was absolutely full um, of this white substance. So, to give you an idea, the arteries that run down the legs, the ephemeral arteries, are the length of the leg. So there's an obstruction in the top of the artery. My embalmer grabs the end of the obstruction and pulls it to clear it from the artery. And it keeps coming and coming. And it comes out in one piece. And the clot is kind of the length of his leg. And it's very red. We then wash it off. And it's bright white. So it isn't a clot at all. It's like a fibrous substance. And it very much resembles calamari. So it's very elastic, bendy. It looks exactly like calamari, but the way it forms inside the arteries and veins is very much, have you ever seen those YouTube videos where they pour molten aluminum down a termite mound, and it forms a cast, a perfect cast. Um, And I think it's particularly cruel personally, but I've watched the video and then been amazed at the cast they've done. This stuff grows inside people's arteries And it grows and it grows until it fills that artery. And then it cuts off the circulation and that person will die because the blood can't go around the body. So symptomatically, it behaves in very much the same way as a blood clot. And I think that's why initially they were being treated as thrombosis blood clots, because symptomatically they were behaving the same. But they're not. They're actually like a white fibrous growth. Um, So So
1: how, how, how long does it take? For something like that to grow, I mean, what was the time frame between the time
5: he he, died? He he was a thirty-year-old guy. They'd probably vaccinated him. I I mean, they were rolling it out to the most vulnerable people first. Um, I'm guessing six months, maybe from from his first jab, Um, but again, I don't have a definite on that. So let me explain what I think is happening. Is this this stuff is growing inside some? jab recipients it's filling the arteries and they're dying and this is why we're seeing footballers athletes in record numbers dying in the field and being forced to retire etc cetera, etc cetera. now if i have 10 people and i open 10 people up some will have arteries like my finger and we call these cow arteries because they're huge others would have an artery like a biro pen very much thinner and perfectly sufficient but very much smaller so some have big some have small and there's a wide spectrum. Yeah. So if you had 10 kids and you lined 10 kids up all born on the same day, some will grow quicker than others, won't they? Because that's just the way life works. Biology works. If you get someone who grows this white stuff inside their arteries, particularly quickly, and they have narrow arteries, this is why we're seeing these people fall over and die first. Hmm. You know, so I suspect that is what we're going to see. And as time goes on, these people are going to suffer the same fate. You know, I spoke to I've had a I've been very humbled at the reception. People have said some wonderful things about me. You know, there's nothing special about me. I just care very much about other people. But for some reason, people resonate to what I've said. And I think they look at me and they know truth oozes out of people in the same way lies do. You know, you can see these politicians, the lies ooze out of them. It doesn't matter what they say. The body language is more revealing than what they're saying. You know, so so I think people have have seen what I've said. They know it's true. They're relating more to it as members of their family get sick and fall over and die. One of the, uh, the side effects of that is I get a lot of people reach out to me and they then furnish me. With the details that I didn't know, because they're doctors or they're nurses, and I've had dozens and dozens and dozens call me and cry down the phone, "Please save us!" You know, thank you for all you're doing. Please save us. Uh, so, so you end up becoming quite educated as as to what is actually going on and what what's happening. Uh, and um, I've got no doubt in my mind what is happening. This is um, this is agenda twenty thirty. Uh, there's no two mm-hmm. ways
3: about it. Mm-hmm. It's
5: Mm -hmm. not just um, husbandry and thinning the herd. It's a financial reset because all the money is gone. There's only fiat currency there. There is no money. They've done it all. And the alarm bells for me rang, I suppose, five years ago, wherever it was, when in the UK they moved the pension age for women suddenly out of the blue because there was no money to pay them. They've done it all. Um, I've had a number of um, economists, financial economists and senior bankers call me up and i got the figures for example for the deutsche bank a few weeks ago and the deutsche bank had currently at that point had assets of 69 billion dollars um, and i remember thinking how strange that was there's in dollars and not euros but that that's what the the wealth is measured in and they have a deficit of 129 trillion wow yeah. So it's unrecoverable. So if the Bank of Germany is in that position to people like BlackRock, Vanguard, it's a fair bet that everyone is in the same position. So I think we're all on borrowed time financially. It's very much easier to kill people off than it is to pay their pension that they haven't got. So I think there's a number of reasons for it. I think what we're going to see in the future is the digital currency and the digital passport. And there's a deliberate engineering of a famine as well and food shortages. You'll need a, a digital passport, uh, a digital ration card, for example. To uh, They tried offering the digital passport in uh, Europe last year. It wasn't embraced. People turned their nose up. Uh, and as a result, um, you'd think they would have disbanded. They didn't. They've expanded those departments, and they're still recruiting because it's very much in the planning mm. to utilize this. Um, it's just they're taking a very slightly different approach. I think they didn't expect people like me and many others to, to – um, not only speak out, but then gain traction, and, and people not take them, you know. Um, uh, and then in September of 2021, I got invited to Westminster to um, sit at a meeting. Now, in this meeting, there was um, it was re- <laughs> it was reported by the mainstream media, run by the same criminals, as a, a group of anti-vaxxers. Now, let me tell you who these anti-vaxxers consisted of. One of them was uh, Doctor Mike Yeadon. Uh, the former CEO of Pfizer, yep. uh, Professor Dolores Cahill, Dr. Tess Laurie, Dr. Sukharit Bhakti, Dr. Stephen Frost. Uh, the list was endless. Anna de Bicere was there. There were lawyers there, solicitors. These are not anti-vaxxers. These are people who, who in many cases, have built extremely eminent careers on the back of those vaccines and had careers with government. In the case of Dolores Cahill, she was advising the government in her 20s, you know. So these are not a group of anti-vaxxers. These are anything but. Um, And we had audience with it was supposed to be two ministers turning up. One of them didn't turn up. I don't know who it was because I was invited late to the meeting. The other one was um, none other than Sir Graham Brady. Now, Sir Graham is the commissioner of something called the 1922 committee. They consist of a very, um, very secret uh, men of the shadows, and they pick. The next prime minister he's basically the most senior politician in this country he sacked Boris um so so that to give you an idea um we all had the meeting was September the 21st it was a Tuesday afternoon I had a member of the SAS um escort me to the meeting and I remember um thinking how the guy didn't look much at all you know he was quite unassuming um, I'm told that is that is what they are. Bless them. A lovely guy. He escorted me to the meeting. I was shown him. Um, I met with Sir Graham. We all had 10 minutes each in our respective fields, me as an undertaker. Not only did I voice my concerns, but I also sat and listened to what the others said during the course of that meeting. Now, I attended that meeting um, with the overwhelming think- feeling of, oh, at last, someone's listening. Do you know? Because the, all these people have been dying. Let me tell you, um, Some I was horrified by what I heard and the evidence I saw go down. For example, seven in every 10 children who are vaccinated will be sterilized. There's a recognized side effect. And that was acknowledged. Um, it was also acknowledged that the whole thing was an experiment. And that was due to run till 2023. An experiment. They openly admitted that. Yep, yep, yep. That was acknowledged as well. And also, that there were several different types of jabs going out. Um, early on, many of them were saline, and the idea of that was to recruit people as advocates. So, you
1: have to have a control group in any experiment, don't you?
5: Yeah, of course. Well, you know, the idea being if you have saline, you know, and you don't suffer any adverse reaction because you've had saline, you'll tell everyone how wonderful it was. And that's exactly what they did um there's um the clot shot they call it uh, and that is where these white growths are going inside people symptomatically that's killing people from heart attack stroke natural forms of death but in massively greater numbers I and mean, in age groups that we've never seen before 20 year olds 30 year olds you know to give you an idea as a funeral director um when i worked for the big main funeral provider which is the carp funeral care here they had around 45 50 market share um, I could count the amount of people under 40 on one hand in a 12-month period in a big hub, a busy hub. They usually died from road traffic ha- accident. You know, young lads always drive too fast. Um, or suicides or drug overdose. Or a very, very rare cancer. And, I, in fact, I can't even remember one, but I don't doubt it happens. So um, I've the last 18 months, I've sometimes done four or five in a month of people under 40. Mm. Uh, small tiny funeral director so I don't doubt these huge funeral directors must be inundated and they're not COVID deaths I know I see the paperwork Uh, but more chillingly is when I raise these concerns with coroners they're not interested Uh, no that's government policy you know so that um to give you an example I had a, a guy called Nick who's a mortuary manager one guy that reached out to me he's been a mortuary manager for nearly 30 years in a big hospital down south and he Keeps the numbers. And he said to me he'd seen a 500% increase in thrombosis based deaths. So that would be these vaccine recipients that are dying with this white stuff inside them. Now, I know when this young lad of 30, I pulled all this white stuff out of him. I contacted my coroner. Now, I know the coroner's seen it because if I can see it with an untrained eye, he can see it. He can see it. So I emailed them um, and said, Look, I've got this guy of 30. You know, it was a sudden death. We've looked in his arteries. He's full of this white stuff. Do you want samples? Are you aware? You know? Um, I didn't get an email back. I got a phone call two days later saying, oh, we spoke to the coroner. No, they're really not interested. They suggest it might have grown post mortem.
3: John, 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 sorry to jump in. Yeah. With, with the the comment that you've said about the coroners, which are, you know, old yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. When they turn around and say this is government policy, excuse the stupid question. Could we please <coughs> what? Could we please just uh, clarify what the government policy is?
5: I really don't know because they didn't divulge that. But when I basically I I wrote uh, I emailed my coroner about this specific young man. So as a funeral director, I have a moral obligation if I have concerns about a death. Let mm. me explain. If I go to the hospital and I pick someone up and then I get them home, uh, or home back to the funeral home. Uh, and they've got a knife hanging out their back or a puncture wound. Yep. I have a moral obligation as a decent God-fearing human. Uh, and also, I'm legally obliged to raise those concerns to the, the, the coroner. Um, so that's what I did. They weren't interested. They weren't interested. Now, whether that's I, – I get the feeling these are good people. They must be being coerced into silence. Mm. Now, I also um, emailed the chief coroner of England – who all these people answer to. And I said to him, listen, um, I've spoke to people. I'm seeing a huge increase in thrombosis deaths. I know you're aware. What is going on? What, what are you doing about it? And I didn't get any reply at all. And that was despite CCing in 40 doctors who are all very awake. And I can tell you there are hundreds and hundreds of GPs, many of them I speak to on a weekly basis, who are totally disillusioned by the uh, the GMC. It's, they're finished. The GMC is finished in all but name here. So, yeah, totally, totally. They all know what's going on, but they value their direct debits and the lifestyle yeah. that a GP's salary affords them. And I understand that. I get that. You know, we've all been enslaved to the money lender, haven't we? So yeah. they're reluctant to speak out. But but what we're seeing, uh, uh, so I sent him another email three weeks later. And again, I cc'd in the likes of Dr. Tess Laurie, Dr. Dolores Cahill. They'll tell you, They got copied in on that email and I received about a week later, I got a reply from a secretary to the chief coroner of England saying we follow government policy. That was all it said.
3: Right. So the GMC, just to clarify uh, for American Americans is the General Medical Council. Um, Yes. John. When you were in the, if I may ask when, because I heard about this meeting when you were in the room and there's Bradbury there from the 1922 committee, et cetera.
5: Graham Brady, yeah.
3: Graham Brady, sorry. Graham Brady, I'm sorry. What reaction did any of these faceless bureaucrats give? And I suppose the clue is faceless.
5: So he was in there on his own. There was only one minister attended. He knew, he knew. Hmm. He he openly admitted um, it was above his pay grade. There was nothing he could, do. he could do. He would do what he could, but he couldn't promise anything. Um, It was also put to him at the end of the meeting that when the masses find out what you've done, there'll be civil war. Because I can tell you, anyone that damaged or harmed my child or killed family members, you are in a deadly war with, you know. And he said that the government were well aware they had actually expected it and they were surprised that that civil unrest hadn't already happened. And this was last September. And, and you can question any of the others. They will all confirm that that was what was said. Um, I, I, there was sorry. there was something in place called Chatham House rules. You know, yes. you are not allowed to talk it. Yep. I yep. didn't find that out until I was at the meeting.
3: Absolutely. I, did. I, I didn't
5: Absolutely. attend the meeting on that basis. So um, in my mind, Chatham House rules is great if you're forging foreign policy. I totally get that. Or you're looking at an economic deal. I totally get that. When you're talking about poisoning children i don't care about chatham house rules
3: well let's just quickly say something about chatham house chatham house is the british equivalent of the council of foreign relations for our american listens listeners mm-hmm. they they have access to the foreign office over here they they then are a glue a globalist part of the globalist one world government control grid and that is who they are over here john the government, you, you just hinted at this.
5: So I got the impression that Sir Graham is a man sitting on the fence. Is he complicit? No, I believe him. I think it is above his pay grade. He looked shocked. He looked very uncomfortable. He was surprised that we knew what we did. I can tell you that. And I suspect he wasn't there to listen as we hoped he would be. He was there to report back. Um, I got the impression with Sir Graham, and I'm good at reading people, he's a man sitting on the fence deciding what side of the fence to fall on there's a seat on the arc for him if he plays his part and if it all comes on top and we hang these bastards from lampposts mm-hmm. he'll be a savior you know mm-hmm. that's that's where the position is with Sir Graham it upsets me because he's a very powerful man yeah um it is above his pay grade but he should still be a man of integrity and honor and what he's doing is hasn't a shred of decency in it that's the bottom when, line.
3: When the government turned said say that they were expecting civil unrest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah. What yeah. A, what are what have they got up their sleeve if they're if they're well a this is what is. the
5: huge number of um super prisons have been built for. They're preparing. Um the 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 I've been told by various sources there are a growing number of UN troops being pushed into the country, um, ready for any future lockdowns. They will be and they're being trained to go door to door. I tell, um, I was told they're being trained in Antalya in Turkey and in the west of Ukraine by pre- predominantly the Black Watch regiment. How true that is, I really don't know. That's what I was told, and that was by British intelligence.
1: Right. So, John, um, the the I guess we'll call it a blockage that you that you removed from this young man. Yes. Sounds like it has, you know, six months, and it's that large. Uh, The stuff must be growing incredibly fast.
5: I think um, it grows in some people quicker than others. You have to bear in mind they're not putting the same jab in everyone. I've had people call me that have gone blind. I've had people call me that have got Bell's palsy. I've got people calling me that have got monkeypox. I've got, you know, so there's a range. If they only put one kill shot in people it wouldn't be too long before the uptake was stopped so they have staggered it they've moved it about they've changed batches they've you know they've been very um yeah, very my, clever. My, i mean you have to applaud the evil genius really of it um my you know, question
1: i guess is have you been able to analyze what you've what you've found? So you found
5: so any... I, I don't possess a lab I, the, I had one sample of four test tubes that's all gone out to various people um, because it's of little use. It's exactly the same. I could, ha- I could have filled it up last week. I don't have the samples anymore. Um, it's exactly the same as what Richard Hirschman has got. And I've shown it on camera to many people uh, mm-hmm. um, that I've spoken to recently. It's identical. It's identical to the samples that Richard Hirschman has. I watched, uh, I saw a report in the Epoch Times, and that was an analytical report. And it's very, very interesting, the breakdown. So, Richard Hirschman supplied a lab with a sample and they've given a breakdown and I'll give you a, a link to that article if you want it. And it, it's a breakdown of what it actually contains. So, for example, normal blood contains lots of iron. There's virtually no iron in this stuff. Um, there's sodium in there. There's there's many of the things that is in blood in it, but in very different levels. So I suspect something um, in these vaccines is causing the body to build this inside people some people will do it quicker than others and if you've got thicker or smaller arteries you know obviously you're going to fall over quicker and that's what's going to happen so if you grow it quickly and you've got little arteries you're you've had it we're
1: down to to about you. two minutes here so i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give mark the uh the closing opportunity for th- uh questions and comments
5: yeah cool
3: um John, I can't. I can't thank you enough. There are times where a load of this I've known, but to suddenly hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, in many ways is is just continues to be unbelievably shocking. Right. What do we do, John? What I really, I really don't know.
5: Mouth? I kind of. Um, I suspect that expecting the system to punish the system is unrealistic. I suspect it will be people power. I'm not going to incite violence. I wish we had the Second Amendment here. Um, I can tell you Um, I don't want to commit crime, but you are entitled in law to protect yourself um, relative to the threat you face. Mm. You answered your own question. Do I, do I condone fighting them? No, because that's what they want. That's what they want. That's what they're pushing for. That's why they're making the economic climate more and more unreasonable because they want the warriors in us to go out uh, and be violent so that they can round us up. And then ultimately they'll be left with just the sheep. Uh, And that's what they want. They want civil unrest. That's what they've been pushing for, because then they can up their game and they can be openly violent because of that civil unrest. You know, so I would urge everyone, non-compliance. turn your back on these people. Um, Go and vote when time is there to vote and write across your ballot paper. I do not consent consent. and turn your back on these people. Um, They're engineering famines. Uh, You know, I've spoke to dozens and dozens of farmers. You've got people like Gates buying up all the farmland and not Mm -hmm. ground anything on it. Do do you know, look at all the food centers that have gone up in flames. The big one in Paris recently. It's a concerted effort to deliberately engineer a famine. And I suspect what we'll see is a digital famine card, you know, digital ration card coming on top of a financial collapse. It's already, they've already done, they've done all the money. There is no money.
1: So for those of you who thought this was only happening here, it's not. It's happening. No, tar- it's happening
5: the tar- worldwide. No, the target is is Europe and, and America. And the reason for that is we um, equal around 25 to 30 percent of the global population, but we use around 65 percent of the resources. Um, that's why we are being targeted. That's why. why? That's exactly why. they We're, we're not seen as compliant. No. You know, the people they're bringing into the country are used to being dominated. They're used to having nothing. And these people are here to police us and replace us. Ultimately, it is that's going to happen throughout Europe. It's well underway. It's well underway.
3: I, I just yeah. want to end by saying, please keep John, John, in your prayers. Oh, no,
5: do you know, please. I stopped worrying about me a long time ago. I'm not bothered about me. I'm not frightened of death. They can come and get me tomorrow. I really don't care. I'm more bothered about you guys, which is why I speak out. And, and I'll meet my maker with a clean conscience. I'm really not frightened.
3: Yeah. Well if I, was,
5: I would have never said nothing, you know. I'd be like the rest, just taking the money. And I'm I'm not where I don't want to do that. I don't want to do
1: that. Well, well, God bless you, John, and thank you for being here tonight. Uh John's website for those who would like to look him up are is uh dot That's John's website. Mark's website is marksutherland.org. dot org. And um we are out of time about two minutes ago. So I, I got to close this out. This went fast. This went faster than I was thinking. Well, um, do you
5: know, if you want to recon- reconvene another time, I'd be more than happy to do an update in the future. If um, <laughs> if we're allowed to do that, if we're still here. Yeah. We,
3: we, we will do that, John. And I'm, I'm going to give you a ring because I want to make contact with you. So thank you.
5: Yeah, cool. You're more than welcome. And, and thank you for listening, guys. And um, God bless us all. God bless us all, because the darkness is
1: coming. Yes, it is. Um, I will not be here next week. Dr. Mike will be here the next two weeks for me. And uh, in three weeks, I'll be back with Judge Roy Moore as my guest. So we'll see you all then. Thanks. Thank God you. bless. Bye. God bless.